What we're seeing is a shift in consumerism where, you know, our patients are actually not necessarily going to our provider as often or they're seeking care elsewhere. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today you'll hear a series of interviews on attribution within a Cannonball Care organization. It's a complicated topic, but of great importance to the financial viability of an ACO and to the health of patients. Josh hears the perspective of three different guests. Alliday's Chief Medical Officer, an Accountable Care Organization Executive Director, and the Administrator of a Medical Practice. These interviews explain what attribution is, potential health effects on patients, and how Alladate is addressing these challenges in the time of COVID. Emily Maxson, Chief Medical Officer of Alladate, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot, Josh. We're talking today about attribution, which is a complex topic at all times and has some particular importance right now. Let's start with what is attribution in an accountable care organization? I think it's great to start with the definitions because you're right, this gets complicated very quickly. But at its heart, attribution is a way of ensuring that ACOs that are caring for a patient population get credit for that patient population. So how do they do this? Well, the first step is to determine a patient to be assignable to an ACO in general. In order to be an assignable patient, you have to meet a few criteria. Number one, you have to be eligible for Medicare. Do you have both Part A and Part B of Medicare for the whole year? Is there at least one visit with a physician who can drive attribution from an ACO or a visit from a health center in the ACO? Then that patient is assignable to the ACO. Got to have at least one visit that counts. Attribution is the next step. And this is where the word plurality comes into play. If you think about it, plurality basically means that you tabulate the cost of all kinds of services provided by a certain provider, and then you tabulate the cost of all services provided by a second provider. Plurality is the higher of the cost of services provided by the provider. So if you go to see your primary care doctor once a year, every year, and you have a $100 visit billed every year, But let's say it was a particularly bad year for the sneezes and snuffles, or say COVID-19 has hit your community and you have symptoms and you need to be tested and you visit an urgent care facility a few times. Let's say that urgent care facility provider bills Medicare $200 for the year. Even though you've been a part of that primary care practice for 25 years, seeing that practice every year, once a year for this particular year, you've had a plurality of services with another organization and you will not be attributed to your primary care practices ACO. So it's really important that we get our hands around these patients such that the plurality of care occurs where the relationship is, which is within the primary care practices space. So I know there are some complexities to it and this is an oversimplification, but let me reiterate, it's wherever the most charges have been where that patient received their primary care services that the patient will become attributed to that medical provider. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Provided that the patient's visits are assignable, which is with a physician in an independent primary care practice, or if you are a patient pursuing care in a rural health center or a federally qualified health center, visits with physician assistants and nurse practitioners also count as assignable visits. Okay, so for an independent primary care practice, it has to be with a physician and in a community health center or a federally qualified health center, it could be with 
um, other providers such as PAs and advanced practice RNs. Do I have that's that? That's exactly right. Yep, that's right. Okay. Now let's get into why this matters. Um, attribution has always been important, but with COVID-19, it's taken on extra importance. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I think there are really two categories to speak to. The first is really for the patient. What we see in times of any pandemic, and we've seen this historically, and we're certainly seeing it today, is that patients avoid care. They avoid care settings. They are fearful of exposure. And so what we saw since the beginning of our pandemic was a drastic decline in visit volumes, especially in-person visit volumes, because patients were afraid to be exposed to other patients who could potentially be carrying this virus. And so what you see is you see primary care services go neglected. You see chronic disease care that just doesn't happen. You see elevated blood pressures, diabetes out of control. You see preventive services that also don't happen. People do for their mammograms, their colonoscopies, other critical life-saving measures. They just don't happen in times of a pandemic. So what we see for attribution is that decreasing in-person visit volumes and decreasing visit volumes in general take a real toll on this plurality calculation that we've discussed. If a patient isn't seen in the course of the year with their ACO provider, then that patient can't be attributed. So I think that that's, that's key point number one. These are real patients, real grandmothers, grandfathers, brothers, sisters, daughters that aren't getting the care they need to stay healthy and to stay safe. And that's dangerous. And we really need to bring them back into the practices that know them and will care for them. The second piece is the financial ramifications of decreased visit volume for an ACO. We must see patients in order to exist. We must have attributed patients, patients that we see and that we are responsible for more than any other organization in order to exist. And if we cannot embrace our patient population and our attributed numbers fall below the 5,000 threshold that Medicare sets for an ACO's viability, we cannot continue to financially serve um, or serve beyond the shadow of a doubt these patients who are, would otherwise be attributed to us in normal times. So I think the expected ramification of COVID-19 has been patients not coming in for care and all that leads to social needs not being addressed, medications perhaps not being refilled, uh, all the things that would happen if you lost touch with your primary care practice. But then this other one that has crept up, as you mentioned, is if patients don't come in, they don't belong to an ACO, and an ACO could even not continue to exist. So what's, what's Alliday doing to address that? We have a multi-pronged approach. I think if you look at the data, there are some really interesting patterns. One thing is that we see our ability to bring in new patients to an ACO, patients that are becoming eligible for Medicare, aging in, they've just turned 65, or they've decided to move into a new area where we serve. If they're not coming in, we cannot embrace new patients into the ACO. And as you'll hear, ACOs require patients to be newly added because we lose patients every year, whether to death, moving away, getting onto other insurance plans, et cetera. And there's a population of patients to be maintained who have been ours for long term. But this new patient, new newly attributed patients is a real, real issue for us. And what we're seeing in the data is that that's actually where we're getting hit hardest. New patients are not coming in to the office. They're not being seen. We're not getting the new patients that we expect year over year. And then we also are seeing 
a decline in patients who should have remained attributed, who because of COVID are not coming in, and so we're losing attribution there. The other really important data point that I think is important to mention is that our ACOs that are comprised of health centers and our ACOs in the South, which statistically carry the bulk of our minority patients across Allidade Nation, are suffering from attribution challenges more acutely than other patients. And because our health centers care for vulnerable patients, what we are seeing is that vulnerable patients are going without services. Vulnerable patients are the ones that we're losing to attribution. So we therefore need to ramp up services for our health centers, for our practices in rural areas, for our practices who served underserved communities. We are doing this in a variety of ways. We are inviting patients in who are at risk of dropping off because they haven't had a visit in the year. But really importantly, there are practice capacity issues. Not every practice has staff on hand during this pandemic when many of them have furloughed staff or decreased their staffing ratios. We are actually doing call centers or uh, trying to stipend staff to come back from furlough to do the outreach necessary to bring these vulnerable patients in. We are also trying to think creatively about ways to supplement the physician's capacity to do more visits. So there are a lot of things that we are entertaining and working hand in hand with our practices to deploy in order to get patients the care they need and regain the attribution that we have lost. I've heard it said that even in normal times, medical practices breathe. They they breathe out, patients move away, patients stop coming in, they breathe in. Patients move to the area, you pick up new patients. Um, but right now with COVID, there's just a lot of breathing out and less breathing in. What are the actual numbers that Allidade's been experiencing? Well, Josh, it's, it's pretty interesting. And we know what we know now, but then there's also extrapolation into the future. So I'll try and address that question in two different ways. Firstly, when COVID hit, we lost visit volumes by as much as 40% in some practices. And while telehealth helped close the gap, visit volumes still aren't back to where they should be, where they need to be in order to get all of the patients the needed services. If you look at the data right now across Allidade, what we're seeing is that there's about a 5.5% of increase in patients lost if you compare to what we saw a year ago, and a 25% decrease in new patients gained compared to what we were seeing a year ago. But we fear that it could get worse. We fear that if you look at the way the trends are going, that we could anticipate as much as a 15 to 17% decline in attribution for the year unless we act quickly in all the ways mentioned to get patients in for needed care. Emily, thanks as always for the great information. Thank you. Andrew Chang, Executive Director of the Florida Central Allidade Accountable Care Organization. Welcome to the ACO Show. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Doing okay. With the coronavirus epidemic, a lot of things are things that primary care physicians and accountable care organizations are dealing with that would make sense in the context of an infectious disease. But a few things have crept up that we wouldn't have expected to manage, and one of them is attribution. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. How has that changed and what is affecting your ACO in that regard? Yeah, attribution is one, I think, uh, from a foundational perspective for an ACO. It's always there and it's lingering, but with the pandemic, um, it's really impacted how we deliver care 
uh, for our patients. And so for the ACO that I manage here in Florida, you know, we have a lot of capabilities with telehealth, but there are also a lot of providers. Uh, as you can imagine, Florida has a heavy concentration of healthcare saturation. And so what we're seeing is a shift in consumerism where, you know, our patients are actually not necessarily going to our provider as often, or they're seeking care elsewhere. And so at the end of the day, when Medicare reruns attribution, it breaks down to claims plurality. And how do you talk to doctors about the importance of attribution? Yeah, attribution for, for physicians, it comes in a number of different ways. The one driving force that I always like to, to put to their forefront is you're managing these patients already. We just need to make sure that Medicare understands that you're managing their care. And by having continuity in care, it's actually been proven. Uh, there was a New England Journal of Medicine article that showed having consistent care and attribution can continue to decrease your cost um, and increase your potential towards savings in an ACO. And so we really keep that at the forefront is we want to make sure that those patients have that continuity. And we want to make sure that you know CMS also understands that that patient is under the medical home of one of our practices in the ACO. So if a patient doesn't come in to see their doctor, then Medicare doesn't understand that that patient is working with that PCP and they don't essentially belong to that PCP and accordingly to your accountable care organization. Yeah. So when a patient, let's say they're seeing their cardiologist three or four times a, a year and they stop going to their PCP and ramp that up, um, the claims plurality can favor towards that cardiologist, and then we can lose attribution to them, even though they may in their mind say, I do have a PCP and my PCP is so-and-so, but because CMS sees the claims coming through for that cardiologist, we're going to lose that patient to them. Okay. And why would that matter? What would happen? So that matters for a number of different reasons. The biggest is we no longer have that continuity of care. We're not seeing what's going on in that patient. Sure, we can get the claims later, which we you know have a 90-day lag from CMS on, but we're not getting those real-time updates of what's going on. And sometimes that individual may not be in the best position of care by that specialist. And so we want to make sure that they're coming back to their medical-centered home, which is our practice. And ultimately, we're also losing out on the potential to better manage them and show uh, CMS through risk coding, through visits, you know, how either sick or healthy they could be. Sometimes specialists are not as well versed in value-based care as our primary care physicians. And so we are not receiving things like risk codes on those patients um, that we would normally have when they're seeing their primary care. Through what we do here at Alliday, we're fortunate in having things like admit, discharge, and transfer notifications. So we would see things like them going to an ED or going to an inpatient facility and getting discharged. Um, but to get the coordination of that care once we lose them is a little bit harder. So we want to just make sure that we're at the forefront of the patient's minds and recentering them to realize that that PCP is the best spot for them because it is their medical home. And so what are some of the strategies that your ACO has been approaching to try to keep patients attributed to your physicians? Yeah, there's a couple of different things. And I'm not a, the greatest at sports analogies, but I can at least understand the offensive defensive mentalities. And so I'll start with the offensive, which is really how can we continue to add patients into our practice that they're already seeing, but are aging into Medicare. So what we're looking at is an aging list that, you know, patients are going to 65, they may be opting into Medicare Part A and B, and they 
are ripe for enrollment into Medicare via a welcome to Medicare visit. And so we're trying to make sure that if that is the case, um, we're outreaching to those patients, we're ensuring that they get into the proper mentality of understanding what Medicare looks like, but also understanding that every year we want you to come back for something called an annual wellness visit. And that's going to be your opportunity for us to level set each year and ensure that we understand what's going on in your care, in the four walls of this office, outside of those four walls. Um, and it's just a really good way to get them into that pop health mindset. So the defensive side of things is a little bit harder. So defensively, we have a list of patients that we gain uh, attribution for every quarter. Uh, as an ACO, CMS gives us those files, and we learn at an ACO level who is attributed as well as who is assignable. We can actually trend that uh, between the different quarterly reports to see, well, who has lost attribution or who has continued to gain attribution, who has gone from assignable to attributed, who has gone from maybe assignable to neither now. And so what I'm doing from a defensive perspective is I wanna look at those folks, not who has stayed attributed to us, I wanna actually look at the folks who have lost attribution. And they could have lost attribution for a number of different reasons. They could have gone to a Medicare Advantage plan, which is a little out of our hands. Um, so we kind of take that out of the, the denominator. But the other two main reasons that they may have lost attribution is going back to A, uh, what we talked about with claims plurality. They may not have had enough plurality in claims with that physician, so they no longer have attribution. Or they may just be seeing another physician altogether. So okay. we're trying to go into that defensive tactic of looking at lost attribution, as well as looking at how we can move folks from assignable, they've just not had enough visits yet to attributed. So those are the two kind of defensive strategies that we're looking at here in Florida. Now, I know even with all these efforts, there's still been some loss of attribution created by COVID. What are your numbers as far as lost attribution this year compared to last year? Yeah, so it's an interesting perspective on attribution because you could look and say, well, from Q quarter one to quarter two, I only lost three patients. That's not bad, right? But it's actually a net game. So what you really need to look at is who have you maintained, who have you added in, and who have you lost? You could have maintained, let's say, 10,000. You could have added in, four, let's say, 500, and you could have lost 497. So you actually lost three patients. So we need to take a look at that perspective and see how we can improve those numbers. When you look at assignable visits, so our patients that were attributed to us last year, how many assignable visits have they had this year in order to maintain attribution? We're actually averaging right now about 78% of assignable visits um, occurring from last year to this year. So those are good numbers, but we're trying to get up to 100%. And then even beyond that, what we're also wanting to do is make sure that we're continually adding in new patients so that we can kind of win out on that net game, but also make sure that we're bringing those patients back that we lost attribution on. So if I'm summarizing right, we want to reach out to patients who are newly eligible. We want to make sure we don't lose people who physicians are already connected to. And we particularly want to make sure that somebody doesn't become attributed to a specialist rather than a primary care provider so that their overall primary care can continue to be coordinated. Yep. That is a good summation. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I won't take up any of your time. I know you've got some hard work to do to keep this attribution thing going. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. We've been talking on this show about the important issue of attribution, and we wanted to hear how it looks and how it's done at the perspective of a practice. 
So we're joined now by Purba Hari, who is the practice administrator of Physician Medical Group in Claremont, Florida. Welcome to the ACO Show. Thank you for having me. What does attribution look like to you? How, how do you understand it? How have you been addressing it? The way we understand attribution was initially from when we first joined an ACO, which was knowing who your patients are and seeing them to retain their alignment to our practice. It's important because it ensures that the patient has a relationship with our practice and we have a relationship with them in terms of providing healthcare services. On the other side of things, when it comes to participation in ACO, it ensures that their cost dollars are also retained within our bucket, if you will. Um, so that all of the work that we do, that we put in behind the quality care initiatives for the patients, that work follows us as well. In a normal year, attribution happens fairly organically. Patients come and go. Um, the more they're seen by you, the more likely they are to be attributed. But during this 2020, which is, of course, not any kind of normal year, a lot has changed. How has that affected your sense of attribution, the way patients' uh, behavior and visiting rates have changed during the coronavirus pandemic? Sure. So first of all, frequency and visits has definitely changed. And a patient's disinterest in venturing out to get labs done or imaging done, that also impacts the number of follow-up visits they have in our office um, and the type of management that the physician and our practice can offer as well. So it's definitely presented a challenge for us in that sense. However, when the numbers were low in office, it also gave our staff an opportunity to work less. We spoke earlier with Andrew Chang, who is the executive director of the Florida Central Accountable Care Organization, the ACO that your practice is in. And when I asked him who would be good to speak with in the ACO dealing with attribution, he suggested your practice. What is it that, that you're doing uh, to tackle this issue? So we like to work all the lists that are provided to us, whether they come from the ACO um, or whether they come from the payers or whether we generate them within our EMR. Um, the annual wellness visit list, the transitioning care management list, the high risk, low cost list, and the inverse of that as well. Working the list helps us to know who our patients are over and over again. Um, it also enables to perform gap analysis. You can identify which are the patients that you saw last year in 2019 that you have not yet seen at all in 2020, regardless of payer, regardless of initiative, because that allows us to identify how many of those patients we did see last year are not coming in and what are the reasons. And then we can investigate that. When you refer to the work list. I know that you're referring to lists within the Allidate app, which is the data platform that Allidate uses to provide its member practices information on patients. And some of them are lists of patients for TCM who need a follow-up visit uh, after having been admitted to the hospital. Some of them are annual wellness visit lists, patients who are, are due for an AWV. When you mention working those lists, what does that entail? Well, first, knowing who, for example, was in the hospital and then looking back within your EMR to reconcile, did that patient call you prior to visiting the hospital? 
uh, was our office staff aware that they were going to go to the hospital? Uh, do we have documentation? Did the primary care physician in our office refer them and encourage them to go to the hospital? So working the list means knowing these patients that have been identified by Allidade as either needing a service. So if it's the AWV, then we need to call them and make sure that they're scheduled. Um, if they're not scheduled, understanding why. If they canceled an appointment, also understanding why. But then going a step further to ensure that that documentation of outreach exists within our EMR as well. So that if that patient calls back and says that they've received a call from our office, that any member of our staff could pick up the phone and answer, oh, this is why we were calling you because we'd like to see you. It's been a while. And how do patients respond to this type of outreach? Positively, I would say. They feel that their doctor's office is in touch with them and that they are aware that we are seeking that relationship with them uh, for healthcare services and that we're present. They don't feel forgotten. In fact, one of the Allidade campaigns that were sent out during COVID-19 where Dr. Hari recorded a message, we received a lot of feedback that they really liked the fact that they heard his voice when they were quarantining at home. Oh, that's very nice. And are there barriers to getting this done that you've encountered? Certainly. There are patients who were hesitant to come in uh, to be seen. Uh, they were scared legitimately regarding the disease um, and contracting it. They did not want to get lab done or imaging done. So that directly impacted frequency of visit and willingness to come in. Technology or telehealth was also a barrier for us. So even if we were able to work a list and schedule a telehealth visit, some patients found it so frustrating that even though we were using UpDocs in its simplest form to utilize. And so we actually had to make it okay for them and let them know that we were still here for them. And even if they couldn't do the telehealth visit and they did not want to come in, that we would check in on them later to see how they were doing and possibly make an appointment for them in the future. So UpDocs is the platform you're using for telehealth? Yes, it is. Anything you would want to share with practices who are having a harder time getting this done? I think this is one of these things that is sort of simple, but not easy, but you're also making it sound easy. It's definitely not easy. It, it takes work. We try to approach it in an organized manner in which we document all of our outbound encounters, not only within the Allidate app, but within our own application so that we can see how many times we've called a patient, our people um, that are on our team, all the way from the physician to the MAs. Everybody knows the importance of uh, knowing who our patients are. We don't refer, it, refer to it as attribution internally, of course, but know who our patients are and ensure that we can see them and that they know that we're available to them. All of our processes for working the lists are also communicated internally across the team so that the physician can clearly see if a certain patient needs outreach where he would be able to find within that patient's chart if that outreach was completed. And then utilizing all the technology platforms 
that are available to us, but more important than the technology is the data that the technology provides, um, such as the work list uh, that come from Alidaid, or such as running a report from your EMR that states, here are the patients you have not seen in the current year that you did see last year. Do you have any patients who wish you weren't calling? Sure, they do. For some patients, they feel like we are annoying them or bombarding them with our calls. But on the flip side of things, we don't want our team to also feel like telemarketers. Um, This is not something we need to sell per se to them. This is a relationship between patients and their healthcare provider. So the first thing that we do is we call patients and let them know that we're available to schedule a visit for them if they haven't had a visit in a while. The second call we make if they haven't scheduled a visit is a follow-up to the previous message, but also letting them know that the doctor would actually like to ensure that they have a comprehensive visit in office and to ensure that their medical needs are addressed. If after two phone calls out to them, we haven't received a response, the third call is generally, we've left a couple of messages. We understand that you may have another PCP or you may have moved to another area. If you do have another PCP or you have moved, to simply let us know and let your health plan know because we don't want to feel like we're chasing them down to come in and be seen. And we also want it to be okay for the patient to give us a call back and let us know that they have chosen another PCP. It's a better utilization of our resources and it further solidifies that it is a relationship where the patient and the healthcare providing team should be engaged in. Per Bahari, Practice Administrator at Physicians Medical Group in Claremont, Florida. I really appreciated hearing this. It's the kind of organized proactive care that is exactly how accountable care organizations can be successful at improving patients' health. Your patients are lucky to be part of your practice. Thank you very much. The ACO Show is produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Theme music is by Donna Korn. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACO Show.